We're studying in the book of Romans, and you never know what we're going to run up against verse by verse. A lot of folks accuse me of just keep saying the same thing all the time. I'm just going from verse to verse, and whatever, whatever I say is whatever I'm reading. So let's turn to Romans 8. And our, our verse today is going to be verse 27. I know we were on there last week, but there was another thought came, and uh, that thought was the greatness of God. But let's read, uh, let's start with verse 24 and read down through 27. For we're saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The thought we're going to have this morning is, and he that searches the hearts. Let's bow our heads. Father, as we begin our lesson this morning, we just just bow before you, knowing that you know our hearts and our thoughts and our intentions. And we pray that thou will open our hearts to understand great truths this morning from thy word. Bless each one here and each family represented. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. As I start the lesson, my mind flies to Psalm 45.1, so you're already on starting to turn. Psalm 45.1, I want you to see what I was thinking about. This is David. It says, My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer, and then David begins to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk about the greatness of God this morning. Now, David's heart was overflowing with praise and thanksgiving as he was thinking of our great God, and my heart also was overwhelmed with the attributes of our great God. We seldom stop to think of the greatness of God. You just Hardly think about it. Words aren't going to do much to praise him, but we are going to try. Our verse says, And he that searcheth the hearts. Now, how's that for openers? Anyone you know that can do that? Anyone you know that even believes that God can do that? No, to tell the truth, that's just something you don't talk about. The general feeling is among people, when you even talk to them, they say, you believe your way and I'll believe mine. And I never argue about religion. And one thing I never do is criticize someone else's religion. Did you ever hear that? I'm sure you have. That's the golden rule published by Time, Life, Reader's Digest, National Geographic, radio, newspapers, and TV. So whatever God is and is supposed to do for various groups is just as good for one as it is for another. That's what they say. 
That's also the reason why they outlaw God's word as being the only true source of spiritual knowledge. If God has made some rules for mankind, and he has, and if God searches hearts, and he does, what is he going to find? Well, he has gathered the information past, present, and future, and he wrote the results in print, in a book, I'm going to show you those results. Turn to Romans 3, look at verse 10. Romans 3 and verse 10. And also we're going to look at verse 23. First of all, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, how did God accomplish gathering this information? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Last week, we talked about the assistance that we have from the Spirit, where it says that the, let's see, let's read it. Verse just before that, Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray. The sighs and groans stirred up in us by the Spirit are taken notice of and accepted by the Lord. Now, it says, He searcheth the hearts. Now, God doesn't have to search, but knows all things by simple intuition. But it's put into the language of men because for a man to know anything, he must search it out. Our God has an infinite knowledge of all things and doesn't have to search for anything. But for you to get an idea, it says he searches the hearts. Now, our lesson is to teach us that if you worship God, your heart should be deeply possessed with a sense of his omnisciency. Now, what does that big word mean? It means there isn't anything that God doesn't know past present, and future. This is a truth often given in the Scriptures. And I'll just show you one example. Early, early in the Bible, turn to Genesis 6-5. Genesis 6-5. Mankind now had been on the earth for 2,000 years. This is just before the flood. Our Lord takes a little census, a little survey. Here's what he finds. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now the Lord sees not as man sees for man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. Man sees things slightly usually with rose-colored glasses. And judges things according to the show and outside, for his spirit can pierce no deeper. But God searches the heart and the reins and knows who is and who isn't. Here's a scripture we've never been to before. First Chronicles 28. Where's First Chronicles? Well, it's kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. We have the first and second kings and the first and second chronicles. And this is first chronicles twenty eight. 
and it'll be verse 9. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou that the God of thy father, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. And if thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Now, you can't call yourself a believer unless you first believe him to know all things, even your very thoughts. Yes, even the imagination of your thoughts, like it just like we just read. I want you to take a look at Proverbs 15:11. Proverbs, little past the center of the Bible, right after Psalms. Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs 15:11. Here it says, "Hell and destruction are before the Lord." How much more than the hearts of the children of men? Now, in this verse, he compares two things that are most unknown to us. The state of the dead in the hearts of men. God knows all those that are in hell, though they are unknown or forgotten by most men. We don't know what has become of the bodies or souls of men, but God keeps an exact account of all. He knows where their souls are and their bodies also. What has become of their dust and how to restore to everyone a resurrected body. And just as he knows who are in the state of the dead, so he knows what are the thoughts and hearts of men alive. Who can know our thoughts? Aren't they private? And what comes swifter or quicker than a thought? And what a variety and hidden from others until we reveal them by word or action. Yet God knows them. Not by guess or interpretation, but by immediate inspection. He sees them before they are manifested by any word or act. Again, take a look at Jeremiah 17, 9, and 10. Now, that's familiar ground. We go there often. We have to remind ourselves of this scripture. Sometimes we get carried away with how great we are, how nice we are. And Jeremiah 17, 9, and 10 is always there, always the foundation for the depravity of the human heart. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it, and the only one that does, I, the Lord, search the heart, I try the reins. Now, the heart of man is altogether unknown to others and very hard and difficult to be discovered by ourselves. There are so many games that we play to conceal and color our actions, but there's no fooling God who has an eye to discover the most secret notions and inward intentions, and will accordingly deal with men according to their deceits. 
What makes this total, complete knowledge even more amazing? It may help you to understand the knowledge of God when you know of his omnipresence. Oh, there's another big word which happens to mean that God is everywhere. God is all in all and above all and beyond all, nowhere included and nowhere excluded. Jeremiah 23, in fact, Jeremiah 23, 23. It'd be 23 and 24. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do not I fill heaven and earth? Saith the Lord. Now listen, those are potent thoughts. You'd have to stop and come and kind of consider that, any one of those statements, for a long, long time. Therefore, all we think, speak or do, is better known to him than it is to ourselves. We do all as in his sight, speak all as in his hearing, and think all as in his presence. You may be far from him, but he is not far from every one of you. Now, as the Bible, as the Lord also invites folks to reason together, I'm saying it this morning, come let us reason together. Our God is our creator. He that made our hearts surely knows our hearts. We've got three scriptures in the Psalms we're going to turn to. First of all, Psalm 94, 9. They're all going to be in the Psalms, so just hang in the Psalms for a minute. But Psalms 94, 9. 9 and 10. He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? And he that formed the eye, shall he not see? And he that chastiseth the heathen shall he shall not he correct, and he that teacheth man knowledge shall not he know. Now go to Psalm one thirty nine thirteen. Psalm one thirty nine thirteen. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Might as well read the rest of it, because this is great for these people that think that abortion is so wonderful. Verse 15, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Is abortion murder? You better believe it is. Psalm 33, 15. Psalm 33, 15. He fashioneth their hearts alike, and he considereth all their works. Now he that has so much wisdom to give you the power to think knows the acts. If he gives his creatures knowledge, he has knowledge in a more eminent degree. 
Nothing can be concealed from him who has creating power. Let's look at our Lord Jesus Christ. Was he the creator? Well, God's word says he was. Look at John. John 1, 3, and 10. The Gospel of John. I know folks have read these Gospels and played religion and been in church all their life and have never seen that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Creator. John 1, 3. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Look at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, Creator, and the world knew Him not. A couple more scriptures to show you that the Bible teaches the Lord Jesus Christ was the Creator. Look at Colossians 1.16. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 1.16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. This is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's two witnesses. I'll give you one more. Hebrews 1-2. Book of Hebrews, first chapter, second verse. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Did he create anything while he was here on earth as a man? Turn to John 6. John 6, verses 10 through 14. John 6. This had to do with uh, 5,000 people plus men and women following the Lord Jesus Christ. He's getting late and they're hungry and he wants to feed them. And in verse 10 it says, And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so that men, the men sat down in number about 5,000. 5,000! That's tremendous! I often wonder, though, was there a terrible unemployment problem then? How did all these people get away just to follow somebody to hear preaching? But that's beyond this. That's not our point here. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained, and over and above unto them that had eaten. Did our Lord create anything? I guess he did. He created an awful lot of food there, didn't he? Five loaves. Is it the five loaves and two fishes? No, five loaves and two small fishes. And our Lord fed well over 5,000 people. He demonstrated that he could create. Nobody else could do that. 
Now, that's a part of creating. Now, did he read any hearts while he was here? Could he tell what men were thinking? Look at John 2, verse 23. John 2, verse 23 and 24. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name. That sounds real good, don't it? Don't you think that all those people were saved then, joined the church? Come on. When they saw the miracles which he did, but look, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. They followed him because of the miracles, not because they believed that he was God. All right, uh, some more about him reading men's hearts. That's in John 6, 664. Our Lord not only know who believe, but who doesn't believe. It says, But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believe not. And who should betray him? That's kind of interesting, I would think. Look at verse 70. And Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is the devil, is a devil. Well, he knew, even with the choosing, that there was one that was going to betray him. And then one other scripture, John 4, verse 16 through 18. John 4, this is always interesting. Our Lord speaking with the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan. She's a Gentile. Jews don't have any dealings with Gentiles at that time, which really shows you... Uh, how far from God's spirit that the whole nation of Israel was. Here's the people they despise. You're not supposed to despise anybody. But anyhow, in John 4.16, he's speaking with a woman, and he's going to see how honest she is now. Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that thou sayest truly. Did our Lord know? Of course he knew. Because he was God, he could search the hearts. He could try the reins. He knew. He didn't go to Rouse's and get a paper that said all these this one's divorced and this one's got so many husbands. He didn't have to be told by any tabloid. Didn't have to read the newspaper or check the TV. He knew. You see, that mighty God of the Old Testament is the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew 28, 18. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, Now this is after the resurrection. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And I've explained that to you all before. Before he ever came to earth, he had all power in heaven and earth. But now he's in a body. 
is in a body representing you and me, a body of flesh and bone. He's the man, Christ Jesus, who now has all power in heaven and earth. And one other scripture, John 17, 2, where he acknowledges that he has all power before the resurrection. John 17, 2, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Given him power over all flesh? He wasn't even crucified as yet. But you see, he is God. Crucified or not crucified, the Lord Jesus Christ is God. Now, did he know future things? John 18, 4. Same right across the page. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? He knew all things. He knew the suffering and torture that he was going to suffer for you and me and still went right ahead with it. What would you and I have done? Probably talked our way out of it. Luke 18, verse 31. Luke 18, 31. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall, he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spit, it upon, spit on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death and the third day he shall rise again. Did he know the future? Of course he did. But this was even written in God's word ahead of time. And it says, And they understood none of those things. And this saying was hid from them, and neither knew the things which were spoken. And these were his companions, the disciples. Some of the greatest men that have ever lived on the face of the earth could not understand our Lord's simple words. No faith. Okay, strange, isn't it? I want to show you something, though. They, they never get cut down for that. And in his prayer in John 17, now we just read that they didn't understand a thing. Turn to John 17 again. And verse 8. I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Strange, isn't it? In the Lord Jesus Christ, his people get credit for everything. Everything Christ accomplished, his people get credit for. Strange, all his righteousness is imputed to believers. Just the same way all of our sins are imputed to him at Calvary. 
tremendous, tremendous salvation. Does he know the future? Turn to Matthew 24, verse 21. This is very controversial. Some believe it, some don't, but <laughs> your person's a fool not to believe it. It's coming. This is where our Lord predicts the next dispensation following the one that we're living in. Verse 21, Matthew 24, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And I want you to know there was a flood in this world too one time. And he's saying this is worse than a flood. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved, but for the elects, oh, there's that nasty word again, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, does he know the future? The whole book of Revelation, from the sixth chapter to the 22nd chapter, is future. None of that has happened. Not a thing has happened yet from Revelation 6 to Revelation 22. But it's going to, okay? He foretold the future. He gave it to John. So when you get right down to it, it's the Lord Jesus Christ who searches the heart, who knows the mind of the Spirit. Now how is it that Christ knows the mind of the Spirit? Because He sent the Spirit and called Him, even gave Him a name, called Him the Comforter. Turn to John 15, look at verse 26. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Now, did you ever see a verse so loaded with the Trinity? There's a lot of people, in fact, whole religions, denominations, that say there's no such thing as the Trinity. I'm reading about Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I'm going to send Him from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, was proceeded from the Father. He's going to testify of me. It's back and forth and back and forth, and you see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're one essence, but three persons. And then right across the page in John 16, 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. You see, and then of course that work of the Comforter, as you've heard the tapes or been here before, the Comforter, it's, it's a nice, it's a pleasant word. I think when you a Comforter, not so much as a person, but as a that wonderful, fluffy, soft thing on your bed that keeps you so warm and so comfortable. Well, his work is to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's comforting. How is it comforting? It's comforting to God's people because they've got to be there first. They've got to be brought down in humility. They've got to be brought down out of self-righteousness and self-dependence and self-religion. They've got to be brought to their knees where they'll bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's comforting. 
when you look back. When you're going through it, it's miserable. All right. Did you ever play a game? And in some part of that game, wonder what the proper rule was. You can break the rules by cheating, and you can break the rules by being ignorant of them. Nonetheless, they are broken. Well, God made the rules for man to live by, and he doesn't forget any of them. He not only cannot forget it, but he keeps records of every individual's breaking of the law. And therefore, since all persons and causes are to be judged by him, and every one of us is clearly and fully known to God, both as to our hearts and actions, makes him very capable to judge us. I want you to turn to Hebrews 4.13. Hebrews 4.13 Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now a little closer. Just a closer look as to who is the judge. Now we looked in to see who was the creator. But now who is the judge? Well, once again we find that the scriptures teach that our Lord Jesus Christ is not only the creator, the mighty God, but he's the judge of all mankind. Look at John 5.22. John 5.22. And also <clears throat> verse 27. John 5.22 says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. That's pretty clear. Look at verse 27. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. It's a lot of power, isn't it? Who is it to? The Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, seeing I mentioned that he's the mighty God, I want you to look at Isaiah 9.6. Isaiah 9.6. You can't say enough about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's everything. He's everything to the sinner. This was a marvelous prophecy back then, and it says that this child born, this son given, is to be called the mighty God and that's what we're doing this morning. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, he was born. But the government's never been on his shoulder. He hasn't been called these things by the whole world. God's people do, but that's not what this means. There's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth where everybody is going to call him that because they're going to see him. They're going to see this glorious person that was born, a child and a son given. 
Now, the knowledge of God gives great encouragement to prayer. Prayer is the closest that we can get to God while we are in the flesh. We can say it's visiting with God, acquainting ourselves with God, or drawing nigh to Him, or just calling upon Him. Now, none of this can be done unless we believe Him to be present and conscious to all that we do or say. For all else is but an empty formality, and that's what most church-going and religion is, an empty formality. Therefore, when we pray, we must remember that we converse with Him that searches our hearts and knows how and what we ask. Turn to 1 Kings 8, verse 39. Now, here's somewhere we haven't been before either, I don't think. 1 Kings 8 and verse 39. Verse 38 is, is kind of interesting, too, because as old Solomon speaking there, he said that everybody should know the plague of their heart. Oh, come on. You mean everybody? Yeah, everybody. Everybody's heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. It means the same thing. But verse 39. Then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and forgive. And do and give to every man according to his ways, whose heart... Thou knowest, for thou, even thou only, knowest the hearts of all the children of men. Now all the faith, the seriousness, the comfort of prayer depends upon the belief of this. For who would call upon him of whom he is not persuaded that he hears him? But multitudes pray to an unknown God, for to know God is to first know Christ. And this is going to be our last scripture. It's Matthew 11.27. Matthew 11.27. There is no way that you can know God apart from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ first. That's why when you hear Saddam or anybody with their supposedly real religious outbursts saying the great God is going to help us. They haven't got a God. Never been to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't know God. Can't know the Father. Verse 27 in Matthew 11. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And he... To whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Then I said that was the last scripture, but you all know John 14, 6, where it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. To know the Father, he has to be revealed to your heart by the Son. And as long as you're there, Let's read the greatest invitation in the scriptures for anybody, no matter how bad, what religion, what sex, what crimes you've committed, what prisons you've been in, or whatever. It doesn't make any bit of difference. Here's the invitation. If you read it, it's yours. And it says, come unto me, verse 28, all ye that labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest under your souls. It's your soul that needs rest. I just, not suggest, I heartily recommend the Lord Jesus Christ to everybody, anybody. It's a necessity if you care for your own soul. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank Thee for this morning hour and ask Thee to bless each one that's been here. May we have learned about the mighty God, our great and mighty God, who turns out to be our Savior, our Substitute, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless each heart here this morning. And again, we ask for Thy protection on the highways. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, you've got a good 15.